0: Hi, this is Laura Johnson with the Mom on Purpose podcast. You're listening to the Love Your Story podcast with the amazing Lori Lee. I love the show and I hope you do too. Enjoy this episode.
1: Today's episode is called Seeing Things Differently, Personal Stories of Shifting Perspective. One of the great life truths is that life is all about mindset. When you shift your focus, the perspective changes, and when the perspective shifts, your reality shifts. Boom! That's huge. Drop in some truth there. Once we accept this, and we learn about the power we have to reframe events and stories that we're telling ourselves. In order to support our learning and living, once we fully embrace that power of perspective and the flexibility of it, we become unstoppable. For example, with my personal story, I was married and divorced three times. I felt a lot of shame and yucky stuff about that, and that led me to a place of where I had to learn how to love my story. That's the, the base where all of this started. And as I'm dealing with that story, I can either focus on the hurt, the betrayal, the struggle, the cynicism I gained from my experiences with men, or I can reframe and look at what I learned. I can look at the great people I met because of the various experiences that I had, the people who got to leave my life, the empathy and understanding of some really hard things that I gained that I wouldn't have known any other way. I can focus on the learning and the growth and the empathy and the people and the places that my adventures took me, or I can focus on the pain and all the messy stuff. That is my choice the same way it is your choice. So reframing and changing perspective are really the same thing. Do you realize how big that is? It's everything. It's how you interpret your world. So stick with me. We're going to talk about what that shift looks like and how it changes things. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. To look at some perspective shifts about some of the most common things and how those various shifts create a whole different world for you to live and thrive in. In Donald Miller's book, Hero on a Mission, he talks about the importance of keeping the perspective of being an agent in your own life, basically being responsible for choosing the way that you look at your story and also taking action in your story. So let's start with that. Today I'm going to take clips from various episodes. And we're going to show what different interviewees have said about the shifting of those personal stories and what that looks like. So in episode 221, Jessica Burrell and I discuss Hero on a Mission, Donald Miller's book, and this idea of taking responsibility for doing the work in our lives, keeping the perspective of our own power. I was listening to Donald Miller, hero on a mission, which is his latest book. I think. Jess, you reading it? yeah, loved it. And I think it is too. it's It's pretty recent all over what he's talking about. He's so easy to follow in this, but he also talks story talk. So that's what makes it really fun. And, you know, the main gist of it here is, do you want your life to be as meaningful as possible? And I would say, you know, the given answer is, sure, don't we all? Mm-hmm. And are you willing to take responsibility for your own life story? Because, you know, if we're not, then we're just sort of floating along waiting for stuff to happen to us. But I think his main idea was that good life stories take work. Yeah, I
2: I totally agree, Lori. And I think, you know, the, the word you nailed it, like around responsibility and, you know, we'll get into the different archetypes he outlines in the book, but one of them being like being a victim to your story or a victim to your circumstance. And we'll get more into like how, I mean, I will say how I've been a victim in the past, but the moment we start to take response, the good news is we get to take responsibility.
1: And the bad news is
2: we also get to take responsibility. responsibility.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, just like a story, our lives have a beginning and a middle and an end right? And in those stories, we play lots of roles. So we're friends or husbands or wife or son or daughter, teacher or learner, whatever. We have all those roles. We're multidimensional characters. But within our story, there are also times where we play the roles you were just talking about, Jess, the villain or the victim or the hero, and even sometimes the guide. So before we go there, we want to talk about our own power and responsibility. Like you were just saying, Jess. Let's look at this. The first place we have to take responsibility is who is writing your story? Do you think that fate is responsible for where you are and how your story turns out? Oof,
2: yeah. You know, and I think there's a degree where there's sometimes like, well, things will show up and I'm like, whoa, like it's out of nowhere. It feels like fate and I think sometimes we can get so far down that path, like the pendulum can swing so far. I'm like, Oh, everything is fate, And I'm not in, in control of anything or responsible for anything. And for me personally, I like to think I'm in control of everything I'm possibly in control of. I get to choose and be responsible. I'll always say I get to be responsible, good, bad, right, or wrong. It's, it's me. And I just get to feel surprised and delighted if the what I would refer to as the universe. And, you know, some people would say God and I would say comes in and it's like, something comes along my path. That's very surprises and delights me, as I like to say too. Yeah. So well, I think and it's I, a bit of both.
1: And I think fate or relying on fate to direct your life can also be a huge cop out. So I think there's that place of accepting good things are going to come. Sure. You know, good things are rolling around all over in the universe and that's going to happen, but fate isn't responsible for you living out your story. And, and if you wait for it, if you just wait for it to make things happen, I really think you're going to get to the end of your life and you're going to be sitting there on the couch going, how the heck did I miss that ride?
2: Yeah. And I know, you know, the saying, and I think about this saying when you're with this conversation already is like, we are the sole uncontested authors of our life. I know, you know, that one. And it just really reminds me of that in this moment going if as the sole uncontested author,
1: how would I be writing my story? You know, and that's what Donald Miller says, right? Like, this is Mm -hmm. the premise of this. And so then the next question, and I'm asking these purposefully so that you as the listener can can you know, ask yourself, do you believe that others, the people who are using their agency to act upon you, determine your storyline? Because if you do, and you know, this is the victim mindset and I've been there, I've been there. We're going to talk about this Mm -hmm. down the line here. If you do, then you're in a space where you're relinquishing that power. You know, I love the word agency, you know,
2: and I mean, if you read the book or you've read the book or you're interested in reading the book, it's great. And that really kept landing with me when he was saying like, some people don't take their own agency in their life. I guess that's another word for responsibility, but it feels more empowering a little bit to me. Like responsibility sometimes can feel heavy, like great power, great responsibility, (laughs) but with the agency, it feels more empowered. And like, I'm in a, I'm the agent of my life. I get to create what I want. So It's really just reinforcing that point.
1: Well, and let's refer to like Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl, right? Mm -hmm. He's talking about others can do whatever, like, you know, he's a survivor of the Holocaust. Uh, They can do horrible, terrible, like unmentionable things to us. They can kill everyone we know and love. They can take away, you know, even, you know, everything down to our self-respect, right? But we still have the ability and the, dare we say, responsibility to choose how we, the story that we build around it, the way that we choose Mm -hmm. to look at it. If we relinquish all of our power and go into a complete state of hopelessness, or if we look for meaning or learning within it. And, and, you know, that's a huge process. We talk about it in various spaces, but when we're talking about if you believe that others who act upon you get to determine your storyline, then you're giving away your power. And the next question I would say to consider is, is it God that writes your story? And I'm going to say here. Well, let me just quote Donner, Donald Miller. He says in his book, "If it's fate or God, they are doing a very unfair job." <laughs>
2: right. Well, yeah, because you you know we can sit here if and what do I want to say? Like when things go wrong, that's when we're like, oh, why is why is God doing this to me? Why is this happening to me? And I I took a class with, I had I was in a course with a woman and she's like, why is it happening for you? Why is this happening? Like everything. And I'm like, oh my God, please stop. But you know what? Darn it, if she wasn't right. And it's in those moments to say the, the those hardest parts, if God and fate is writing my story, how am I taking it and using it to forward me in my life and saying like these are the lessons I get to learn in this lifetime and and I get to move them forward it feels like turning those obstacles into opportunities in my life as well
1: check in with yourself do you need to make the perspective shift into being the agent of action in your life are you taking responsibility for your own life If not, this is a powerful shift in perspective. Powerful. And if you're already doing this, then excellent. Let's move on to the next perspective idea. If not, jot some notes down about that. And maybe that's the thing you work on this week. Okay, the next one. In episode 132, Rebecca Cookston and I discussed the book Deviate, The Science of Seeing Things Differently in Order to Get Different Results. It's a great book, Um, but I bring up this step because it's all about thinking outside the box in order to make life work for you. Rebecca is on the show because she implements this deviate mindset in big form, so I'm going to take you to that episode and just let you hear a little bit of what she did, and maybe it'll click some ideas and things that you've got going on in your life, how you could think outside the box. We're starting out. Life has greatly deviated onto a new and wonderful path. I want to know what that is. So I've given them a little bit about your history. You have four marriages. You're now happily married to your fifth husband.
3: I've had four divorces. Oh, yes. yeah. Five marriages. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And Way more than you. <laughs> Way more. <laughs> I only
1: have three. Okay. So this concept of deviating is what mm. we're talking about here. So what did you do? What things did you quit looking at? What... Things Did you start looking at what mindsets did you deviate away from in order to create a new and wonderful path learning from the past and shifting into something completely different?
3: Yes. Thank you for asking. It really is about choosing not to look at things. The only way we can see something new is if we stop looking at the old stuff. I really recommend reading the book by Bo because he has a brilliant way of explaining historically, as a species, how we have become who we are today and how our brains function. And what we look at reveals us and what we choose not to look at creates us. So in order to create something new, we have to stop looking at what we've been looking at, because then we just keep getting more of that. Okay, what's a real life example of that? (sighs) Let me see if I can get it into context of marriages. I kept looking at marriage as something that I needed to yoke up with someone. And I needed someone as a partner to travel my life with and help me through things. And I just defined partner as someone who would be in my yoke with me, we would yoke up together. And when I changed my concept of what a partner was, and thought, what if my partner is just here to enhance my experience? What if my partner is here to just Bring me different experiences, not necessarily join me at the hip and be enmeshed and have this kind of codependent experience that I'm fully dependent on him for things and he is fully dependent on me for things. And if we can agree on the direction we're going, we're going to have a great life. And I kept, for lack of a better word, interviewing people to be my husband and thought I was very clear what I wanted in a marriage and what I wanted in life and what my expectations were. And they had me convinced that. That's what they wanted too. So I'm like, great, here's my yoke. Come on in, help me, let's go. And after the honeymoon period would wear off, et cetera, they started pulling the other direction. And I thought, hey, that's not fair. We agreed that we were gonna go this way. So I always felt like I was either yoked up with someone who was fighting against me or I was hobbling along in a two-person yoke with just me carrying it by myself and feeling Not downtrodden necessarily, because I would keep moving, but definitely struggling with the burden. And when I stopped looking at it that way and started opening my eyes to, I wasn't even opening my eyes to something different yet. It was more just stopping looking at it that way. And then that allowed a possibility for something else to exist. I had to allow something else to exist in order to do that. I had to stop looking at it that way. And the idea that maybe I'm the only person in this yoke, and this yoke doesn't actually have two yokes in it. It's just a one-person yoke, and I'm the only one carrying it, and I am free to move whatever direction I want. And a partner is somebody who is in their own yoke, and we're just walking along a path together and enjoying it together. And that doesn't mean that we are stuck together. That just means that right now we're walking down it together. And ironically, now I am with a partner and we're going the same direction. So how long did it take you
1: to make that shift as to what to look at? Did you go into your fifth marriage with the shift already taken
3: place or was it something? It's something that's that's happened since. My fifth marriage was almost my fifth divorce a year ago. Because I had expectations and I had my yoke and I had my direction and I had made it perfectly clear which direction I was going in this yoke. And he had made me believe that he wanted to go that direction, too. And now he was starting to not go in that direction. And I'm like, oh, okay, see ya, because I'm going this direction. And then I started to, you know, of course, I don't want to be divorced five times. Of course, you know, we didn't really want to end our marriage, but we didn't know how to keep going we both realized that we didn't want to carry the same yoke. He wanted different things than I wanted. And I felt like maybe for the first time, he was actually being honest with me and that he wanted to go a different direction. And as appreciative as I was to him for, and honoring him that he was finally being honest with me, I still felt betrayed. Because you should have told me that years ago when we got married, not now. But after healing from that betrayal and recognizing that we could still do this together, but it could look totally different, Now, we don't live in the same house. We have unblended our family. We have four children between the two of us, and he lives 15 miles away from me, and he is a full-time dad to his kids, and I'm a full-time mom to my kids, and we date. And this blew my mind that this is a possibility. I feel like that we're somehow cheating the system. It shouldn't be this easy. When you get married, yeah, you can still go out on dates, but you're not dating anymore. Now's for the hard stuff. And I had this belief that marriage was hard and I just need somebody to help me carry this heavy, hard yoke to carry because I can't do it by myself. When I took that expectation off and stopped looking at that, a new idea appeared. And we have explored that idea and we have made a new arrangement for our family that is now beautiful for us. So what I see here and this idea of deviating
1: is that. Full is talking about if you want to do something different, you quit looking at things the way that you're looking at them, right? And then you shift and you choose what to look at and what not to look at. And by what you choose to look at and what you choose not to look at, define how you create your life.
3: Yes. And I'll say the quote again, just because it's so mind blowing. What we look at reveals us. What we choose not to look at creates us. So the only way we can create something new, it has to not be in existence, right? It's creating something new. And we just keep recreating all of that old stuff that we're constantly looking at. That just begets that, which just begets that, which just begets that. We have to stop begetting that in order to get something different.
1: The new life, the thing that's really, really fascinating is your journey along this path of this is what marriage should look like. This is what it should feel like. This is how people should, you know, people should be in the same bed and they should be in the same house and they should be in the, and this is what it's supposed to be. Because culturally, this is the picture that and and the example that we Mm -hmm. have laid out for us. And what you've done is taken a shift of, I'm going to allow for something bigger and broader and completely different for that because something different is actually working for me right? and it doesn't have to look a certain way. And I remember speaking with you about, Actually, the mind adjustment of going through that of it, oh, I can do something different and it does work for me and that's okay. My life doesn't have to look like my community
3: and my culture Mm -hmm. typically say that that this is supposed to work. And it wasn't like I just said, oh, let's Mm -hmm. try this thing over here that other people are doing. That looks better. I didn't know that this was something you could do. Like, I, it really was just not on my radar at all. And, of course, now that I'm doing it, I've met many people who are experiencing the same thing and, you know, trying out different things. And so it's wonderful. But my perspective, my brain was only able to understand and accept the experience that I was creating for myself from looking outside and going, this is what marriage is, and this is how it has to go. And this is how it's defined. And this is the rules that we play by. And how dare you not play by those rules. And if you don't want to play by those rules, that's fine. But I'm going to go ahead with my yoke and carry it heavily by myself until I find somebody who wants to do that with me. And it wasn't that I just had something different to go to that we tried out. It was that we stopped doing it the other way. We had to stop doing it that other way. We didn't have a direction to go yet. We just stopped doing it that way.
1: This book, this discussion with Rebecca, this idea that we can stop doing things the way we have always done, that we can shift our mindset and look for new solutions, was one of the most powerful ideas I've ever processed. The stuff she came up with and the way she shifted her expectation, just something, I don't know, it really took me by surprise. It was an aha moment for me, but very powerful. So give give that a little thought. It doesn't always have to be the way everybody tells you it has to be. Okay, next, in episode 160, Jo Marie Taylor was talking with me about her story of being a hostage in Iraq and how that experience shifted her perspective on the worthiness of all people. We've talked about shifting our perspective to take advantage of our power over our own life. And then we're talking about thinking outside the box to find new perspectives to the same old things in order to see things differently and make them better, right? Well now we're talking about shifting perspective about the people that we come in contact with on our life journey and how that changes things completely. So where were you when the invasion happened then? And how did that transition things for you?
0: So we had been staying at his parents' house. They lived off of Fifth Ring Road, which is one of the main main roads in Kuwait City. And their area was Rumatheia. And we had been living with him, or sorry, with them. So when Iraq came in, it was just full force, unbelievable, thousands of tanks along the main road. that morning I had received a call from my mom and she was really upset because she had said that Iraq had invaded Kuwait. And I was trying to reassure her that everything was fine. I'm sure, you know, it was just the border. I'm sure everything would be all right. And she had urged me to go to the embassy and make sure that I had registered. And literally within about an hour of hanging up with my mom, all the phone lines were cut. I mean, we were completely surrounded by thousands of thousands of tanks that were going along this main road and there was you know the sounds of helicopters overhead there were like bombings and shootings and just all sorts of chaos broke out so quickly were you terrified I was terrified. In fact, I really recall spending the first few hours literally under the dining room table because I was so fearful for everything that was going on around me and I thought, I just need to, I don't know what I thought. I mean, living in Utah, we had earthquake preparedness and they taught us to you know, hide under the table, protect our heads and I just, with all the bombing and stuff going off, I just, that's what I did. I just ducked under the table for the first few hours.
1: What did your husband and his family think of it?
0: Everyone was really, really in shock. I don't think anyone was prepared because no one thought this would happen. Everyone quickly kind of went to survival mode because when Iraq came in, first of all, they went through like all of the grocery stores. They took all of the food. They started like going through people's houses. So our first initial response was one of, okay, this is immediate threat and danger. They're taking young Kuwaitis and putting them on the front line. You know, we need to figure out a plan. But at that time, there was no way we could get out or we didn't really know how intense this was going to be. Sure,
1: you never do in the beginning. No. So what shocked you the most? What, what ended up happening?
0: Basically, as things went on, one of the things that was probably the most traumatic is Saddam Hussein had made a a decree that anyone harboring an American was to be executed on the spot. So we were very blessed in the sense that the neighbors knew I was an American and they knew I was there. And they came in. We had people give us a heads up when the Iraqi soldiers started coming through our neighborhood and going house to house. So I was able to dress up as a Kuwaiti. Fortunately, I have dark hair and dark eyes. And they were able to sneak me out of the house and drive me to a different area where they would hide me, you know, and try and keep me safe. And the dangerous part about that was all of the roads also had checkpoints. So it wasn't like we could just take off and drive away. We had to find back roads and ways to avoid any checkpoints that they had set up. Otherwise, I would be taken immediately and my husband and and whoever was hiding me would be executed. Were the people willing to hide you? It was amazing. I have to say that's another thing that just really stands out about this whole thing yes no one ever questioned it I never had anyone say you know you need to go you need to leave in fact we went to an uncle's house to stay and he was so welcoming he had little kids young children and his wife and older people staying with him he was just so welcoming he didn't hesitate at all and I remember at one point I asked him I said Amo Mahmoud you know, I'm putting everyone at danger. Would you like me to leave? Because I just, this is so frightening for me. If the soldiers come through, everyone is in danger. And he looked me in the eye and he says, no, no, I don't want you to go anywhere. You are safe with us. And they will have to go through me before they get to you. And it just, (laughs) to this day, it's, it's just, you know, so touching. So I was so impressed by the people that went out of their way, you know, hid me, did things that shared their food with me, food was so scarce. And we had a neighbor that brought over a tomato and it was a fresh tomato. And by this time, all the fresh fruits and vegetables were nowhere to be found. And we were pretty much sustained on, on rice and whatever they had in the freezer. And I remember the head of the household took this tomato, cut it up. So each one of us got a little sliver of it, but everybody got to share the fresh tomato. So the loving gestures and the you know the self sacrifice and everyone just pulled together i didn't have any resistance towards me or anything like that
1: So was this what challenged your past belief system seeing this being exposed to it or was it the fear or was it all of it together what was your belief system before and what did that transition into?
0: You know, it probably was everything, all of it together, because every moment, if I wasn't afraid of, for my life, I was afraid of everyone around me. you know, whoever was around me, I was afraid for their life. So that was huge. That was a big part of it. That was something that we were all just on survival mode. And my belief going into it, it was really funny because I was, you know, raised Christian. And initially when I first moved there, I, I had this thing in the back of my head, this thought, a belief that if I didn't convert my husband and his family, you know, they may not have a chance of going to heaven. I mean, this was just my limited, naive belief at the time. But through this experience, my eyes opened to a much more broad sense of what love's all about, what God's all about, what... Even religion's all about, you know, that sometimes we put each other in boxes that are just that, but ultimately we're all the same and we're all connected. And if we can kind of see that, that changes everything because I guarantee, you know, if one of them didn't get into heaven, there's no way I have a chance. <laughs>
1: that we often need to shift perspective on is our bodies and loving ourselves. Looking in the mirror has for many become one of the most uncomfortable things that we do. Uncomfortable because the minute we do, the inner critic hammers away. Sadly, it's very universal in our culture. You're not alone if this happens to you criticizing that physical form that we inhabit is rampant and persuasive story, no matter where you live or who you are. And in episode 76 entitled Body Talk. There's a lot of good stuff, and I encourage you to go to that episode if this is a perspective shift that you're interested in. But today, I want to jump to episode 26, where I talk with Natalie Christine Burridge and shifting perspective about ourselves and turning to the bigger inclusive idea of self-love.
4: You know, self-love can sound so like nebulous when when someone's like, "All right, I I, I know I need this. I know I that this is going to be like helpful and supportive in my life, but how the heck do I get there? Because most people, when they have that self-love desire go off, they're living in a space of self-doubt and lack of confidence and really struggling with loving themselves. So it's like, how do you go from that space to like? confidence and trusting yourself and loving yourself. And what I like to share with people is it begins with just the willingness to make that choice and make that decision, that shift. And then it's a practice. It's a practice at first, which means when you first start off on your self love journey is you're probably going to feel like a fraud because you're like, but I don't, I'm struggling and this, that, and the other, but it's like, awesome. And you'll get there eventually. And so I like to define self-love as this is something I asked myself about six months ago. You know, how can I define it for people so they can begin to practice it? And for me, and what I teach to my, my clients and my students is it's practicing self-gratitude, self-kindness, and self-forgiveness in every single moment, every single day. And you know, and I'll share with you why I chose those three self, those three things, so kindness. We all understand what kindness is, right? So it's like really being kind to yourself, being your own best friend, being kind in your thoughts, being kind in your actions towards yourself. And of course, forgiveness, that's an important one because you're gonna stumble along the way, you're gonna forget, you're gonna have a day where you feel like crap, you're gonna have a day where you've been an expert at beating yourself up and then you get to the end of the day and you're like, oh my God, I I totally forgot, like, and then that can turn into like a loop of failure, right? So it's so important that you are willing to forgive yourself along this journey and cut yourself a break. And then lastly, self-gratitude, because that's really like the energy that's going to start uplifting you when you really start to, to go from a space of not believing to believing and knowing that you are a gift and you are a miracle and you do matter then gratitude is my, my favorite uh, practice to get there. So I feel like the combination of those three um, really get people into the space of really self-loving.
1: Tell us about your story. How did you get to this place in your life? Have you always loved yourself or was it a process of finding that beauty and richness in who you are? Yeah,
4: so it was a process, for sure, and um, I love how you said, and your voice sounds so beautiful, and excuse my voice right now, I just came off of a weekend of coaching, so my voice is a little funny sounding, but um, you know, it's, it's so beautiful, you just said it, like this beautiful process, and it was, looking back, but during it, it felt like just it was anything but, right, so the reason why I teach this to people is because I didn't have it, and, you know, really during my 20s, I struggled with a lot of the result of the lack of self-love, meaning abusive relationships, emotionally abusive relationships, an abusive self-relationship, you know, that, that resulted in me consistently like binge eating and over drinking and unkind thoughts, you know, like really never being good enough. You know, when it was really, when I was 27, I was driving to work one day and I had this light bulb go off that was like, okay, I'm not willing to kill myself, so I got to figure out this life stuff. I'm way too young and way too blessed to be this organically miserable. And I always knew it was up to me. You know, I thought about my family and it wasn't like they did like I have a great family and life was, you know, pretty great. And of course I have like the, the, the normal bumps and bruises we all do in life, but really nothing over the top extraordinarily bad happened to me and I was like, I got to figure this out because I have a long life ahead of me. And so I hired my first coach And that turned into a whole healing process with coaches and mentors and healers and realizing then once I came out on the other side of it, embracing my imperfections, because it's a journey. Like I actively practice self-love because my voice of doubt can still kick in and when it tricked me and I know what that sounds like. And so once I came out the other side as a teacher and I realized that like no matter how old someone was or what they looked like or how much money they made, unless they've been a self-love activist, they struggle with this. I wanted to really just bring this to the world because, you know, what does self love have to do with success and the results you want to create in any area of your life? Everything. Everything. And so that's what led me to today.
1: Is it a perspective shift to be kind to you, to forgive you? To live in gratitude for who you are, every one of these shifts we've discussed today are life-changing. Life-changing. Think, think how it makes things different if you shift into a perspective of kindness toward yourself, of forgiving you for those places that you haven't yet forgiven yourself, of accepting yourself fully with the gratitude for all of the wonderful that you are. That that shifts how you live, how you move in the world. So it really is life-changing. What perspective shift will serve you the most right now? We've talked about a few of them, but where are you at in your life that you can pick out one of these that will work for you? You know, it can be hard, even impossible to shift all the perspective at once. You know, we we don't learn that way. But If one of these really struck a chord with you today, do a little research. Listen to the entire episode that I took the clip from. That's a great place to start. Take it into your meditations, into your prayers. These perspective shifts change your entire living experience. And so, If there's one of these that stuck out to you that will serve you, spend a little time on it and see how you can bring it into your way of being. I want all the best for each of you. That's why I work so hard on this show and I thank you for being here today and I hope that you had an aha moment. Pass this episode along to a friend. Share the love and if you enjoyed this podcast, you're going to love the book I wrote. It's called LIFE, an acronym for Living Intentional and Fearless Every Day, The 21 Life Connection Challenges. You can get on Amazon or go to the website, www.loveyourstorypodcast.com. It's got a link there. Grab a copy for you and a couple of friends and make it a fun event, of a friend event this year to do the 21 challenges together, cheer each other on. Those are the places where people have enjoyed doing them the most when they're working together. So I'll see you in two weeks for our next episode. Just a little teaser, we've got a gratitude coach on board in a couple of weeks. And who doesn't love a little free coaching about great ideas like that? And you know, in the beginning you heard a little bit from Lara Johnson. I want to thank her. Um, she's the host of the Mom on Purpose podcast. If you're a mom, I wholly recommend the show because we're all about living life on purpose. So a little shout out to her. We'll see you in a couple of weeks.